0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Next week begins Advent season, but this is our final message in the Hearts United series. We've been talking about the early church and the foundation of the early church and what it looked like when the believers in the first church got together. We talked about things like Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that they were all together in one room. They weren't just taking up seats or space together, but they were together in one accord, the Scriptures say. That means there is a unification of their hearts and their minds. They didn't all think the same way. They probably didn't vote for the same Roman emperor. They didn't even get a vote. However, they were in one heart and one mind together. And the Holy Spirit comes, and we said that He completed the room. He wasn't just filling cracks or spaces in the ceilings or the chairs, but He fills people from big A apostles to normal everyday Joes and Josephines. We are filled with the Holy Spirit to be sent to bring life to the city. We're an outward-focused church at Vineyard Cleveland. Everything that we do, we want to influence every corner of society, whether it's in cinema, in the movies, whether it's through songwriting, whether it's through education, the criminal justice system, welcoming refugees. We always want to be looking out to our community. Where can we bring life in everyday, ordinary ways? Through people like you and I. Filled to be sent. We talked about story, how Cleveland has a story. We're part of a bigger story. If we know Jesus personally, if we are in relationship with Jesus, then we're part of a bigger story, the grand story, the meta narrative, as Scripture uh, calls it, the, the grand story of God, the recreation of all things. You didn't just show up to church this morning to take up a chair. Welcome to story. You found yourself smack dab in the middle of Jesus' story. When he died on the cross and Jesus raised him from the grave, the story of the recreation of all things had begun. Jesus? (laughs) So you're in the middle of a story, and you individually find yourself in the middle of a story. Some of your, and all stories look different. What story are you a part of? We ask that question. What story? There's so many stories, so many narratives that are playing out in uh, in our culture today. You could be a part of any story. You could find five people who will follow you on Twitter or Facebook. You can be a part of any story. What story are you giving your life away for? What story am I giving my life away for? We talked about being united in story, united in courage. We've seen the early church press out into society, into culture. Paul's been beaten up. Paul's been imprisoned uh, for the sake of the gospel. And then now we're going to talk about hearts united in leadership. Hearts united in leadership. We're going to be in Acts 20, 17 through 32. And I wanted to read that together if you would indulge me. Give you a second to get there. Hearts united in leadership. We're going to start in verse 17. And Luke writes this From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. It's really important. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know... That none of you, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I have not hesitated to fulfill the will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He brought, uh, bought with His own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Watch out. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So good. So what's happening here, for a little context, is that Paul is headed back to Jerusalem, to the city, to celebrate um, Pentecost. And he doesn't want to stop off in Ephesus, a church that he planted, because he knows he loves these people and he will be there too long and he'll miss the festival. And so he calls for the leaders at the church of Ephesus to come meet him in Miletus. And as they get there, this is the only scripture or the only passage in the New Testament where we get a glimpse of Paul preaching to Christians. Normally, if we get sermons, it's Paul preaching to outsiders, those who have not yet come to follow Jesus. And in this passage, he's speaking to leaders. speaking to leaders. Now, you know, if you've been around the church for any length of time, not just our church, but the church, Big C Church, that leadership is imperative for vision. Without vision, the people perish. There's life in leadership, in the delegation of leadership. It's how vision is enacted. It's how vision is resource. Leadership. In general, there's this agreement that leaders provide vision and encouragement and motivation. And leaders recognize that it's going to take more than just their dream to accomplish the will of God in a community. And so that's what we want to get at. And before we dig in a little bit deeper, I felt like there were a couple of things that we need to hear about leadership, and I'm not bringing, I probably won't bring you anything new, something that you haven't heard before in leadership, but I would challenge you to listen to the Holy Spirit as I'm speaking, and what he would want to say to you through this passage. There are many more people sitting in this room, even, who could probably speak more eloquently, and give you more depth, and rich chocolate nuggets on leadership, (laughs) but, um, This is the passage, and so I challenge you to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you and what He might be saying to you about leadership. And the first thing that I recognize is that in all of these things, to effectively lead people, we need to understand that we are the beloved of God. You are deeply loved and cherished and adored by God, by the King of all kings, by Jesus we can't. Another way to say this is that we cannot effectively lead other people without first the realization that we are deeply loved by Jesus. You have all of the affirmation you need. You have all of the attention that you need. You have the attention of the King. Jesus' eyes are fixed on you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You are deeply loved by God. You're deeply cherished, adored by Jesus Christ. You're called. Have you received the message of salvation from Jesus? You're called. Boom, did it. You didn't sign up for one equipping class. You didn't go to seminary. You didn't get your Masters of Divinity. That's it. You're signed up. You're called. Some people spend their whole entire lives in confusion. What is my calling? God, what are you calling me to? Confusion, confusion, confusion. That doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like the will of God. If you received the Holy Spirit, when you received the Holy Spirit, you received a calling on your life to bring life to the city, to share your life with others, to spend your life for the kingdom of God, to waste your life. On the kingdom of God in that story. You're called. The vineyard model of leadership is that we are the beloved of God, called by Him in order to lay our lives down like He did, in order to have His smile on our lives, in order that we might see the rule and reign of Jesus established in every heart, every nook and cranny, every home, every school, every corner of society. We bring life to the city by giving our lives away in compassionate service. Whether we see the results or not, whether we understand what's happening to us or not, we lay it down, even when it feels like a roller coaster headed off of the tracks, trusting that Jesus is in the lead car steering it, even though it feels totally out of control. Jesus is saying, trust me, I've got this, I've got you. Disciples, leaders, disciples who change communities have a vision for the whole community and proclaim a hope big enough to transform the city. We don't separate in the vineyard spiritual formation from city formation. They love individual transformation and institutional transformation. We practice being among the people and bringing life in a thousand different ways. We have a gospel of the kingdom for the world. Understanding that Christ's ascension means everything everywhere must be filled with his glory, majesty, and his beauty. What if, Vineyard Cleveland, what if what if we as a church, what if we did more than simply connect people with churches? What if that wasn't the end? Let's get them plugged in, let's get them going. So small of a goal. What if we did more than connect people with churches? What if in your Cleveland, what if we created disciples that changed communities? That changed, that woke up to life and saw that they had within them, buried within them, the treasure of the kingdom of God to change Middleburg Heights, to change Parma Heights, to change University Circle, to change Shaker Heights, to change Berea. Yes, even to change Brunswick, I hear you. First, what I see in this passage is that leader's model. Leader's model. We read in verse 18 through 19, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. There's this... Reoccurrence of the phrase, you know how I lived. You know how I lived. In leadership, be careful of the leader who doesn't say this. In leadership, it's do as I do, not as I say. Do as I do, not as I say. Paul says, you saw, you know. It's not just like an intellectual, oh, I see you here with us. You're, you're living and leading us. It's not that. You know in your heart How I lived when I was among you. I served you. I served with humility. Leaders model. Leaders model. All over the New Testament. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Titus 2 7, and everything set them an example by doing what is good, In your teachings show integrity and seriousness. People follow your footsteps more than they'll ever follow your good advice. In the kingdom, it's do as I do, not do as I say. Andrew Carnegie said, As I grow older, I pay less attention to what men and women say. I just watch what they do. I pay less attention to what they say. Talk at me all day long. What are you doing? What are we doing? No, don't pick them up yet. (laughs) Not quite yet. Is that my cue? (laughs) Agnes has had enough already we're done. (laughs) And just like Paul, how he says, at first, on on the surface of things, one could say, oh gosh, how arrogant of you, Paul. You want other people to follow you. Mm, That's really great, Paul. Watch as you served with humility. Mm, Someone needs a lesson in pride. But really, he's accepting his call. Leaders let their actions speak so much so, so much so, effective leaders, I should say, so much so that there's a humility when they speak of their actions. You can feel it. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, if if Paul wasn't putting his money where his mouth was, and he said, follow me as I follow Christ, we'd say, rubbish. People follow passion. People follow integrity. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. That's a humble thing to say. When, you're, when your life is centered around the throne of Jesus, when your eyes are fit, when you behold Jesus, when you've been with him, you can say in humility, follow me as I follow Christ. He lets his actions speak so loudly That there's humility when he speaks about his actions. Leaders model. Leaders also in community. Effective leaders live in community. Any leader who lives separate or insulated away from the community. Misses out on a key piece of the character of God. It was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who created and wound the world up, and is involved in every single detail of the history of the earth. There's a key piece of who God is that leaders who insulate themselves away from community miss out on. Now, I hear all of the introverts in the room saying, Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Are you saying we all have to be extroverted And evangelize 25 people in one month? Is that what you're saying? No. But there's a difference between being an introvert and insulating yourself from community. Vineyard leaders. Vineyard people. We are leaders of the people. We are with the people. As Jesus was sleeping in the boat, he was in... The boat. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples every step of the way. On the flip side, I will not be at every wedding, every funeral, or baby dedication. I cannot. But one thing Sarah and I have grown to love about the Vineyard Movement, and about, I believe, the heart of Jesus is that we get to do life together. We get to bring life together. This isn't the Eben show. Josh and Bethany know that the Medina house group, it's not the Josh and Bethany show. Small group leader show, it's all of us. That's Jesus style leadership. All of us bringing life together, leaders in community. Paul says, I was with you. In verse 18, I was with you. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul didn't just show up on Sundays, talk at people, and then vanish for the whole week. Where is he? Where is Paul? House to house to house to house. The best leaders. The leaders that I admire most are leaders of the people, men and women of the people who aren't afraid to get messy with people. Leaders who walk with a limp will not be afraid to get messy with people because they've realized they've been there before. And look at the end. In Acts 20, verses 36 through 38. Look at what Luke says. I want us to notice this. When Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. There's with again. He's with them. On their knees, together. He's not pulpit. He's knees. With. Prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul. Some leaders think that they need to separate themselves in order to be respected. Paul says, no, I'm with you guys. And they embraced him. Grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. If Paul had not lived in community, this scenario would never have happened. They would have been like, we're not... We're not coming to Ephesus to meet you. Why would we ever come to Ephesus to meet you when you've lived separate from community this whole time? They loved Paul's heart. They loved him. (coughs) Leaders finish well. Leaders finish well. Dr. Bobby Clinton has written a great book. It's one of my favorites on leadership. There's two top ones that I love. Bobby Clinton wrote... Um, Leadership is an Art, and Henry Nowen wrote In the Name of Jesus. If you want to know more about leadership at Vineyard Cleveland, I suggest you read those books. Leadership is an Art, and In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nowen. Bless you. Clinton was a professor of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary. He spent 15 years doing extensive research on leadership, lifelong development of Christian leaders. In an exhaustive search of the Bible, he identified approximately 1,000 leaders that were mentioned only by name. These included everything from Old Testament patriarchs, priests, military leaders, to New Testament apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. Sufficient information was available on only 49 prominent leaders to analyze how they finished. So 500 of those 1000 mentioned in the Bible. 100 of those leaders had information on their lives. 49 of those 100 with information on how they finished and 13 finished well. That's 26%. Finishing well is important. Paul says in Acts 20:24, 20, "However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Rubbish. Garbage. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying. Okay. Two more minutes. Sold. 2024. Luke writes, however I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish. Vineyard leaders, vineyard people, take heart. God wants you to finish well, more than your desire to finish strong. Not only that, He not only desires it, He's committed in your life to see that happen. So that you can maximize your potential as a leader. Leaders keep watch. Leaders keep watch. Paul encourages these leaders to keep watch as shepherds. In verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Which he bought with his own unique blood. Paul encourages leaders, disciples to keep watch, not to rat people out, to catch them in sin. Oh, I'm keeping watch, oh, I'm keeping watch. Not to rat people out, but rather to encourage people on. The only way to keep watch is to live in Jesus-centered community. If a leader lives outside community, they forfeit the spiritual authority Jesus has placed on them. Spiritual authority is carried out in a gentle way, in your Cleveland. That's how we carry our authority. We don't drop the hammer on people when they step out of line or mess up or don't show up. We know that we cannot hold folks to an unreal standard, or expectation. They recognize that their authority is to be used as medicine for a wound, not the weapon that caused it. And that's the difference between kingdom reality. This is it. Leaders keeping watch. This is who we are. That's the difference between leader, uh, kingdom reality versus kingdom morality. The gospel is not about sin management. It never was. When did the church turn this beautiful, freeing, life-giving power inherent in the gospel into sin management? The gospel just shrunk. Infinitely small. And not at all what it is. Kingdom reality versus kingdom morality. Jesus says, "I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays it, the, the good shepherd calls people out for not tithing? No. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, behavioral modification misses Jesus by too much, trying to change people. Leaders don't try to change people. Leaders trust the Holy Spirit with changing folks. He's really good at it. We're terrible at it. Have you ever tried to change someone? Wives, are you laughing? (laughs) No, none of you, none of you have tried to change anyone, to fix somebody. (laughs) No, leaders, whole, whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole leaders trust God with people. Don't try to change or fix people. The Holy Spirit is super competent at changing people's lives. He's really, really good at it. And this is a culture of freedom. So some folks don't know how to do it. Wait a second. So they don't need me here. They're not trying to change. Why aren't they trying? See, we've grown so addicted to manipulative leadership. Oh, we're so addicted to manipulative leadership. Jesus never leads out of manipulation. He always leads out of love, laying his life down. Freedom, freedom. You messed up? Who cares? Welcome to the club. You're human. Let's move on and bring life to the city. Let's move forward. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Everyone who is here this morning, who's given their yes to Jesus, whose life is in his hands, realizes that they are shepherds of someone, somewhere, to some other group of people. God has given you influence. When you you come into relationship with Jesus, there's a favor that rests on your life. Why? Because you're so special? Well, special to Him. He loves you so much. But He also loves the world. Jesus loves people. And He's uniquely put favor on your life to influence people. You are a shepherd somewhere with some group of people. You have influence somewhere. It's average that each person will influence over ten thousand people. through That's the average person. Ten thousand people over the life, over their lifespan. Where are you at in that ten thousand? You're somewhere. You're somewhere. Doesn't it put you smack dab in the in the middle of the story that there are people at your workplace, there are people in your family, relatives, friends, co-workers, teachers, students whose lives are unfolding before God. And God has put you in that environment in order to share life with them. That you would be the effervescence of the Holy Spirit to people at your workplace. That when you walk into the room, hope walks in with you. The, cult, the climate of the culture of Jesus follows you wherever you go. You've been given influence somewhere with somebody. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus. He's the good shepherd who runs out to protect the flock. He's the good shepherd. Who feeds and nurtures the sheep. The good shepherd seeks the lost sheep. We are to seek the lost. We're not to insulate ourselves from the big, bad world. They're going to get us. Watch out. It's scary out there. All that sin. All those dirty people. They're sinning. I'm not going to go out to the big, bad world. It's scary out there. Well, that's where Jesus is. Jesus does not want us to insulate our lives so much that we lose contact with the very people that he's given us influence for and has a purpose for their lives. Jesus is among the broken. Jesus is among the poor. Jesus is with your neighbor. Jesus is with your parent. Jesus is with your brother, your sister. God is working something In the life of every human being, the story is playing out. Where are you at in the 10,000? Jesus is with those people, and so we trust God with people. We don't hold people tightly in our fists. We're open handed at Vineyard. We're open handed. We believe that we're the beloved of God, remember? We're the beloved of God. So then it's easy for us to see others in the same perspective. That each person is deeply loved by God. And that the reality, as Bonhoeffer said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that it's not just your your quickest way to relationship is not face-to-face with that person. It's through prayer. Because Jesus controls their destiny. And the reality is, is that it's not you face-to-facing with this person. There's another person on the scene. It's Jesus. And he's standing in the middle of you, The one who Jesus loves and the beloved who Jesus loves. Jesus is standing. That's the reality. Everywhere you go, every person you meet, your most direct link to that person is not through networking, not through Facebook, not through Snapchat. Your your direct link is through Jesus because Jesus stands between the one he loves and yourself. Leaders trust God with people. It would be arrogant for me to assume that everyone here has a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And I want to invite you into relationship. As we stand together, we're going to go into ministry time. Ministry time is where we offer prayer. This is what the church is for.